lo and behold, you know, once you hit around 30, you're like, oh, no, it's the best band ever again. So it like kind of cycles back through it. Uh, and Can I just say real quick, John Oates, probably the most underrated musician of all time. I mean, the most perfect accoutrement to uh, Daryl Hall's soulful piano playing and uh, vocalizing. Never yeah. gets enough credit, man, that guy. And let's thank cocaine, too, because cocaine helped a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, it was the 80s, right? It was the 80s, man, yeah. You're hauling fucking notes. Welcome to the 525 Records Podcast. Well, me and her, I thought we were strong, but in the end I found out I was wrong. Seems my love had another me. My guest today on the 525 Podcast is none other than Andrew Leach, a Portland musician, ukulele master, melodic genius. I could go on. Um, had a great time. Good interview. Great shows. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Episode 3 of the 525 Records Podcast. Welcome to the 525 Records Podcast. My guest today, the amazing Andrew Leach, a good friend of mine. We go way back, former roommate at the 525 House. How you doing, Andrew? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing good. We're doing a long-distance podcast. I'm here in Vegas. He's up in Portland. How's Portland today, buddy? Is it still flooding or what? It's not flooding at all. It's not even raining, as far as I can tell. If you listen to the news down here, it sounds like apocalyptic flooding, and they've canceled all the train service, but glad to know that's not the case. It's not, it's not true, yeah. I think in Central Oregon, it's a little worse, but it's it's not really that bad. Where did you get your musical start? Uh, my parents uh, let me have their record player, and I stole my records from my uncles, and I went through every single one of them, and I that's... Uh, I went through, yeah, like 500, 600 records and I had a stack of try again later, a stack of no's and a stack of definitely yeses. And it was about like 400 no's, 50 try again laters and like 10 yeses. And I would just go to go sleep every night listening to those. And yeah, eventually my first instrument was a saxophone. That's how I started in uh, third grade so what were some of those records at an early age that really made a dent on you as a young teenage andrew leach in coos bay uh, well i got uh so at eight years old i was all about hauling oats um and then around 11 i was all about uh led zeppelin i collected every one of their albums um and then around 13 i moved on to pink floyd um and then yeah, I mean, I gave up on uh, Hall & Oates, and then 
lo and behold, you know, once you hit around 30, you're like, Hall and Oates is the best band ever again. So it like kind of cycles back through it. Uh, and Can I just say real quick, John Oates, probably the most underrated musician of all time. I mean, the most right. perfect accoutrement to uh, Daryl Hall's soulful piano playing and uh, vocalizing. Never yeah. gets enough credit, man. That guy. And let's thank cocaine, too, because cocaine helped a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, it was the 80s, right? It was the 80s, man, yeah. You're hauling fucking notes. Yeah. So talk me through, yeah. when do you move to Portland? When do you pick up the uke? And uh, when does that start rolling for you? All right, so I moved to Portland in 2000-something, 2000 2002, maybe. I don't know. It's been 20, I think it was 24 I, I just went through a horrible breakup with this woman. Um, it was my boss. I was dating my boss. And uh, and she, uh, we were having an affair. She had a, a, a boyfriend. Um, hey, now. Who was addicted. Yeah, he was addicted to video games. And so. Shocker. We would just hang out all the time. Yeah. And uh, uh, madly in love with her. And she just, just she decided she was going to leave. And just drove off we had like a summer job together essentially it wasn't like really like yeah um but she leaves i'm out of a job i'm out of a girlfriend and i'm law i'm like living in eugene and my friend ann calls me up randomly and says hey andrew you want to move to portland and i was like yeah sure why not and then she said okay i'll call you later and called me later she called me like an hour later and told me I owed her seven hundred dollars for rent and deposit. Great, but yeah, it was me and two other girls, and we lived together. And I was playing a lot of music in my room. I, I've been very private with my music for a long, long time. Um, it's it's. Uh, I heard the story about my dad. Like my dad's very much very like machismo, sort of masculine type, you know. And uh, we were talking about how little emotion he shows, and, and he apparently. Uh, she told me that he had a box, a lock box underneath his bed that was full of poetry. And, uh, and I felt like music like that was like a lot like that for me. I feel like there's some sort of connection to that. Like that it's been a private thing that I try to hide from the world for a, a long time. So when is the first time that you play a show in Portland? Uh, the first time I played, uh, in Portland was with my friend, uh, Becky, Rebecca, um, and we didn't. It wasn't. We just did an open mic together, and uh, we we made a plan because she was like also nervous about it. And I was like, "Let's go do an open mic," and she's like, "Okay, let's do it." And we'd always play music together anyway. And uh, and what somebody let me borrow? I played a tarango. What is a tarango? A tarango is a a Bolivian instrument that's generally like. Uh, historically is created out of an armadillo shell. It's like a little, it's like a ukulele with 10 strings. You learn something new every day. I've never heard <laughs> yeah. of a tarango. That's crazy. They're, they're beautiful instruments. I actually have one now. Um, but, uh, so how does that show we, go? What, uh, what do you get? That went really well. It went really great. It was, like we, we just, uh, I wrote like four songs brand new for that week. Just kind of went into a good mental space and like, wrote some songs that I cannot seem to rewrite or, or, or to translate anymore. But like, yeah, it was a really good, it was great. I was like, wow, I got really addicted to the idea of playing and setting up a time and a structure to make sure I have new songs made. 
and it just made me get through songs faster because I, I, a lot of the songs I wrote in my early years were like songs that took me two or three years to write, you know, and uh, and like there was a there was a while where I was doing three songs, four songs a week, you know, and that was and they were better songs. They were more productive. They were just like yeah, in, in you know, in my opinion, and what I want. So, so you, have you always had this fascination with exotic instruments? Um... I, I play guitar forever. And uh, I love guitar, and I got really obsessed with just tuning it differently, because I felt like I would get too bored just playing a guitar and standard. And uh, when you tune an instrument differently, it gives you a different sound. And when the instrument has a particular sound, it's almost like it wants you to write a particular way. It really so, does give it this instant identity. And certain instruments they just they they know what you want they want you to play on them it's like you were having an experience with this instrument and like things like the ukulele and like the trongo or instruments that have like instruments that feel different in my hands are like it's it's like having a chance to uh to start over, you know, there's like to just start from scratch, to let go of all that pre-understood knowledge, even though like some of the progressions and stuff still break through. And I swear to God, I'm always in a harmonic minor and, uh, but it's different and the lyrics are different and the songs are different and the feel is different. Um, and if you do a good enough job at it, you can play one instrument in the end that maybe the song was never written on and it can still convey at least at least that original instrument has conveyed enough of its presence into your voice and into your lyrics and uh you feel the ghost of that that happening for a long time what i would do is i'd get really shit-faced on friday night and saturday would be my best day of the week because it's the hangover day and i'd just walk down to a coffee shop that i didn't have to work i just and i'd go down there with my ukulele I would sit there, feel like shit, and play music to feel better. And it's it was like planned. It was like planned behavior. And um, and eventually, it was like doing a crossword puzzle. You know, you're like, you're on the fucking Sunday New York Times, and you're trying to finish this thing. And you're just hitting notes randomly until they start to make sense. And as they start to make sense, they start to get a feel out of it. And as the feel comes in, you start to adjust, and I I'm, I'm really don't like to use basic chords. I like to use abstract pickings and and uh, just lots of variations of chords, and uh, and I pretty much feel it out until it makes the right noise, and then it builds up into a place where I start putting lyrics. Um, generally, I, I'll hum over it, and sometimes words pop out, and when the words pop out, I like treat them like they are uh, Freudian slips you know they're like they're 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 realistic things that are supposed to be part of this song and i so i'm kind of pulling it out of the ether but you know i am the ether that i'm pulling it out of it's fun some of the best artists that have ever existed that's exactly how they do it uh tweety was talking about this on marin a while back where you just go in the booth and you just kind of hum whatever comes to your mind and it's like this free flow free form um you know top of the head uh process that comes out um 
like uh, what another famous example of this is the Def Leppard Hysteria album. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but mm-hmm. that's how they wrote the, that's a great album. like pour some sugar on me. <laughs> it was all, they just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, they would mumble words and then uh, the producer and whoever would go with the cans and they would write what they thought they heard. And then boom, before you know it, you got a hit single. Yeah. Cocaine, that one probably. <laughs> well, it's the eighties. <laughs> That is such the Portland life, though, is, you know, just rolling down to the coffee shop, uh, underemployed, uh, if you're lucky, and, you know, chilling on a nice spring summer day with an instrument. Everybody is an artist there. It's amazing. I mean, you get off the plane in Portland, even at the airport, it's like everybody's in a band. It's amazing. I mean, old Portland used to be better with that. I mean, about everybody, everybody's in a band, but like, they've also worked, they're working two jobs now, you know, like, it's not like. This is not where young people go to retire. This is where rich white people go to to feel like they connect with, you know. Dude, the commercial like, real estate like boom is off the hook. There was this great thing on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. It was a time lapse from 2009 till two, 2019. And they go down the Google Earth, right? It's like Google Earth time machine. You go down, uh, especially in Northeast, a lot of these streets, they were you know, kind of had that old Portland charm, low buildings, a lot of commercial stuff. And now it's just high rise after high rise, multi-unit condominium apartments, uh, mostly glass. I mean, it is unbelievable uh, how they're able to build some of these things like Southeast Division Street. It's like a canyon of skyscrapers now where, you know, back in the 90s, it was pretty chill. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say sky, but there's, there's like a lot of like, seven story condominiums that have come in and they, they stay on the side of it. It's like this place that used to be maybe two or three lots. Um, it, now there's a condominium there with like 10 units or whatever. And it's, it says on the sign, like starts in the low 500,000. And you're like, what the fuck? Like who the fucking, and why would you want to live in that area? Like we we lived in that area, but we were living in a Fight Club house. So well, that's a good segue. Yeah, you are a, a former roommate at the Five Two Five house. This is the genesis of Five Two Five Records. Is we had a little artist enclave. We had the one of the coolest landlords ever. He uh, did not raise the rent since nineteen ninety five. Um, Eric and Jessica. There was a Nation Alpha. All of our little circle of friends. You know, one people, one person would move in. Uh, when they would move out, they would sort of give us an in with the landlord. And uh, yeah, while the rest of the neighborhood was paying fifteen hundred uh, for the same relative size building, we lived in what we termed the Fight Club house. It was very, you know, the basement would flood. The electricity was always. Uh, causing problems if you plug too many things in upstairs that would just cut out so yeah you lived there a couple of years you know and uh those were those are some good oh, times yeah. we did a lot of music what was your experience a lot of poker playing oh yeah for <laughs> sure and uh how did you get that pool table in the basement man that was imp- that was impressive well it's a three-piece slate they, it was it was next door in their basement already so you know it's just piece by piece but after a few years, the uh, as the land values skyrocketed, we could see the the refurbing heading all the way down the river. You know, we were on Fifth and Lincoln, so if you're in Portland, you'll know where that is on the southeast side. Um, you know, we we were lucky. We had 90 days, and we got paid when they finally did evict us. We knew people across the street that had before the city ordinance went in, where they actually were forcing landlords to pay 
for evictions, you know, you had to cover the cost of finding a new uh, apartment or house or whatever. These people, you know, there was a single mom across the street with her kids. She got a 30 day eviction notice, <clears throat> no money whatsoever. And, you know, it's no wonder why the homeless population is exploding. And it's no wonder why they had to do that ordinance, which was a lifesaver for us. And, you know, we were just lucky to be at the very end of the trail of renovations. Well, it sounded like John did some advocating for it, too. So John was a bulldog on the phone. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But talk me through Good your guy. time at the house. You know, what uh, do you have any? good stories what were those winners like uh they're cold i mean i run i'm i'm in the place right i'm in the basement right now and there's no heat here i, I kind of like the cold man I, I run hot um i you were really worried about it i think you were just too used to that las vegas temperature but uh i'm here in las vegas working i would come to portland um i love that house so much you know we used to play there in the late 90s and Long before I ever lived there, um, I used to visit John all the time, who was our drummer, and uh, we had jam in the basement. Epic, epic parties over there. We had some uh, crazy parties, but yeah, yeah, great location. But you know, as the as the whole movement occurred, you know, you'd see these old Victorian houses getting knocked down and then rebuilt, nail by nail. The rent doubles. You know, nobody uh, nobody can afford it. I mean, I think those ones across the street are still pretty empty. If you're in Portland, you'll know what we're talking about. It's the, um, if you know where the Goodwill is, it's on uh, Grand. That's who ended up buying the house. So it's still a dirt lot today, two years later. But, mm -hmm. Dirt lot instead of our house, yeah. But this is a good segue into Kai, who is a mutual friend of ours. Uh, the first time I saw Kai, you know, picture this. I'd been working in Vegas as a crap dealer, trying to live in two cities at once. And, um, you know, I'd fly up peri periodically to go, you know, what I consider to be my house. So, you know, I roll in on one of these trips and I'm sitting on the porch drinking a beer, enjoying the summer sunset. And this barefoot kid walks up the stairs and just walks in the house. Like he owns the place. I've never met this kid. I don't know who the hell he is. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? Oh, that's Kai. So tell me about Kai. When did you meet Kai and uh, how did he um, wind up over there? Uh, I'm pretty sure he wound up over there because you invited him. <laughs> but I mean, he, he was a friend of mine. Uh, he A musician I played with quite a bit. We did a lot of mics together. Me and him and Matt Hazelrig um, would go to a lot of shows together. Um, just a really, really talented, you know, this guy from Hawaii, very like laid back. Uh, he had like a very good, like this crazy, like low, low tuned, like kind of slack key guitar thing going on. Um, we should play some of his stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, let's see if this works. This is um, this is this is one of my favorite songs. Hylas, who's the other unmentioned uh, roommate at Five Two Five, a very talented musician. Um, played the cello on this particular track so it's very haunting it's very uh moving i think and uh that's how the intro starts so here's a little kai jarvis
was amazing you know i think uh, the real star it's hard to tell i mean he has such a good voice you know and uh, hylas did such a great job with those cello tracks you know it's the only time in history you know i'm i consider myself to be kind of an archiver you know i like to save everything and you know he pissed me off so bad i just deleted all those rough tracks and rough files and i'm so fucking angry that i did that now because that's it. it. The only place this exists is on his SoundCloud, which I will put the link to at the bottom of this episode. And uh, yeah, so I don't know, you know, for what it's worth, really, really good music, a really great voice, a really, really talented kid. And uh, hope he's doing well. If you're out there and you hear this, Kai, what's up, buddy? But uh, yeah, what was your um, experience like? Did you, one of my favorite things was watching you guys play together. Um, you know, he did have a detuned guitar. It was very low. He had that ovation acoustic and it was really resonant. But the thing that blew me away the most about him was that slap. You know, you hear it with any song of his that you listen to. He had this style where on his right hand, he would slap the strings and it was so in the pocket so rhythmic it's just a sledgehammer it was like you didn't even need a drummer you just hear that thwack thwack you know and when we were recording that i was like god how do i get that the best you know we need a stairway or a canyon or something to bring that out but that that was a very unique part of his guitar playing style and that's something that really helped when you guys would play together you know like uh, you guys would do a lot of shows um various places you'd be on the uke he'd be on the guitar and it, it was like a drummer was up there that's how strong those thwacks were and with the detuned aspect it was almost like a bass guitar too it was like it was like a one-hand orchestra literally you know and then when you fire uke on top of that man talk about a recipe for success but the nice thing about kai was he was capable of reading the room and reading the volume and the monitors and staying like 
he never tried to like one up you. He was always about supporting you and the song. Um, where a lot of the like, uh, depending on the drinking level, I have musicians that like that seems like they like want to like overpower it. Like they want to just they get into it. You know, it's know, like you're dancing. Exactly what yeah. you're saying, dude. His, I've never met a musician less competitive and less butthurt when somebody else was shining. You know, like that was it was another amazing aspect. You're right, absolutely. But but the roommate issues were pretty severe, and um, and that stuff would come out when he was drinking. Like I'd be, I, I, I would buy him beers, and he was at the end of the night he was mad at me, and I'd be like, I have no idea, buddy. Like, but that one particular time we did a show, and it went really well. And by the end of the night, he was belligerent. And it was with the guy that books the shows out there trying to tell me how good of a job I did. And like, yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, okay, well, I don't know if I can come back here again. You know, like, but you know, whatever. It's, it's, I don't know. I, I like that motherfucker. He's a good guy. Well, in closing, Andrew Leach, it's been a pleasure having you on the 525 Records podcast today. You can find Andrew uh, wherever music sold. Um, the uh, open mic or coffee house circuit in Portland. He'll be playing a show, I'm sure, at some point. Five two five records dot com. Um, we'll put links to all that stuff in the Dropbox. Andrew, it's been a pleasure having you on board today. Uh, I'd like to thank you for joining the Five Two Five Records podcast. It's been a pleasure. Any uh, closing words? Any plugs you want to give out? No, not really. No, it's good talking to you, though, Elliot. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's been my pleasure. And uh, to play us out, we're going to hear a little Andrew Leach live with Kai Jarvis uh, accompanying him. Thanks for listening to the 525 Records podcast. It's another one in the books, episode three. Here we go. Thanks for listening.
more And by roasting vines of peanuts of more And we'll get so close